So let's, uh, if you brought a Bible with you, uh, please turn there. We're going to turn today to a passage called Leviticus in the book of Leviticus. And uh, Leviticus is a, a book that many people tend to jump over after they've read a few chapters. They try to get lost in it all. But we wanted today that if you have a Bible, encourage you or a smartphone, turn there to Leviticus 25. And I'm going to read the, the Word of God to us for a few minutes, and then I'm going to share what I've been learning this week with it. Leviticus 25, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall, uh, shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year you sh- you shall be a sab- there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest to the la- for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what, it, what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land." The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourselves, for yourself, and for the male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, for your cattle, and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. Verse 8, it says, The year of Jubilee. You shall count seven weeks of years. Seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks, weeks of years shall be given to you for 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a, a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to your property, and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. And in this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property, and if you make a sale to your, to your neighbor or buy your, the, and buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee. And he, he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. And if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is a number of crops that he, he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another. But you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and and perform them. And then you shall dwell in your land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat its fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Or or what, what if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for, your th- for three years. When you sow in your eighth year, you shall be eating some of the old crop so that you shall not eat the old until the ninth year when, the, when its crop arrives. 
this, uh, this passage is uh, one where it, when it's attached into Leviticus, many people begin to read Leviticus and they go, they hear all these rules and uh, management of sin and offerings and they see, so, what I would say, a gruesome picture of what it looks like to, to manage uh, for forgiveness in that period of time. Some uh, are, there are sort of instructions about fibers and cloth and weird commands at times that people often look through Leviticus and go, this doesn't make any sense. And then they skip over, let's, let's move on to something that has a little bit more of a story to it. But what we want to see here is that as we think about in light of the gospel and we read a passage like this in Leviticus, we're going to find out that this book teaches us deeply about God's holiness and his justice and his call for the people to love their neighbor well and to love people around them. You know, I want to take a few minutes. The reason I picked this passage today is because uh, I've been away for three months uh, from you for a, a sabbatical, and it, it's, a, it's a long Sabbath, uh, a time where uh, I took away with my family to uh, rest and to work on some other things, to, to spend time thinking about what God has for the future for us as a family. And it was a, it was a real gift uh, from, from you as a family to us. And I just want to say thank you again. I mentioned that a few weeks ago. But thank you for caring and loving us well enough that you would uh, allow us to have some space uh, to, do this, uh, to do this thing where we were able to uh, think. And part of our, my time was doing a renovation um, and doing a practical project. That was what one of the elders said uh, to me. Is like, try to do something that's practical, that you feel like you've got a daily, uh, daily work that you don't normally do. That work uh, is not uh, a wrong thing. That work in a Sabbath time, you think, well, I should be just sitting on a couch or on a beach somewhere, sipping on a drink. But that wasn't the kind of sab- Sabbath that it was. It was one where you change your patterns so that I uh, allow God to have some time to speak into my heart. So I lived in a basement for a base, basically a month of time in order to have time to work on something that work on our house, but also to have a time where I was away from people uh, for a specific uh, period of time, a way to just hear God's voice in my life. And this has kind of been, that was really a change after 18 years of past, being a pastor at work, uh, being away from people and being in a basement, uh, painting and doing things on it. It's very, it was very different for me. But uh, I want to, as we read this passage in Leviticus 25, there's two commands I just want to share with you sort of briefly today. The one is, is the taking of Sabbath rest. That's what verses 1 to 7 talk about first. The idea of uh, that how Sabbath was designed by God. You know, God in, the first, in his creation story uh, shares with us how he works, how he created in beautiful ways this, uh, everything that you are going to even experience today here. You're going to see uh, how God has created a beautiful place. And this world in its uh, original design is very beautiful. But it, there is a, the unique feature of after all of his work, he stops and a God who has no need for rest, he, he's not limited in power in any way. It wasn't like God was like tuckered out. Uh, it was that he decided to create a, a rhythm to reveal to us the, the type of life that we are to have on this world where he worked six days and then he rested uh, for 
rested for one, rested on a seventh day. And this is the pattern that God has designed for us in this world. It's one of uh, rest and work and work and rest. And we are to work, I, I remember this phrase, we are to work out of our rest, not uh, resting from work. You know, there's, I think there's a big difference uh, between being so tired at the end of those six days that you just have to collapse on a couch rather than actually spending time together and having time with God that, you know, when you come out of that Sabbath day, you're energized for a new, uh, a new work week, uh, coming out for doing your work. But God uh, cares enough about it that he not only does it in Genesis, he talks about what uh, the pattern of life and work is supposed to look like. But he actually then says, this is so important that I'm going to give you 10 commands uh, 10 rules to live, to worship me by, and 10 rules that you are to interact with other people with. So four of them are my, the, a vertical relationship, and six of them are how you're supposed to treat other people. And one of them is so important that he says that uh, one of the, the rules that he gives, one of the commands that he gives, is that his people would keep a Sabbath. You would think in our world today, we think of how important it's like, uh, it's an option, you know, like it's, it's a good thing to take a Sabbath, but God puts it right in this list of 10 that is right there with murder and stealing and lying and idolatry. He cares so much about it that he puts it into his, his top 10 list. We're going to take David Letterman for a moment. Uh, and in this time, the Israelites were called to, they called people to take a Sabbath every week. But he also writes into their pattern in life here uh, a rhythm of planting, where they would work and plant for six years and then give rest to the land. Now, in our world today, this is pretty foreign, right? As farmers, we've learned, our farming community has learned how to develop fertilizers and all kinds of ways. But resting land is still a, a concept that is used today uh, to have good agriculture and how God's designed our world to live. But we've kind of been able to overcome some of this rest by just putting a lot of chemicals in the ground and a lot of ways of, uh, of, uh, of keeping land producing all the way along. But God knew how he created this world. He created this land. So he institutes this rhythm of six years of, uh, of work and, six, and one year of rest where whatever is grown, what kind of grow, grows out of the sort of what's planted there would be what you live on for the year. Now, why does he do that? Because he wants people to have a, this idea that he has instituted this rhythm for us a lighter year so that people could have a time of rest and worship and parties and friendship instead of work becoming the reason for our lives and I asked you today is work the center of your life has, has work become the the place of this is what I, what I live for. It's the number one thing I do and it's become the number one activity in my life. And I'm striving every day. We, we see so much striving in, in work life. And God doesn't, actually says that work is very important. Work is very uh, meaningful. It's productive. But it was never meant to be an unending task, right? I, you know, when we're talking about Sabbath, one of the, the things that uh, I found in the rhythm I just want to share with you briefly was that uh, as I was sitting in the basement, one of the questions that I 
kind of ask God is like, what, what do you want me to do, to do or to, to, is there any changes you want me to do? And I, and you, when you have a lot of alone time, you start to think and start to pray and, and uh, God, is there any changes you want to my life? And I realized that, that one of the biggest things uh, that hit me out of that time of, down in the basement was that I was far more comfortable being busy than I am being uh, alone with God. I loved to shove my life full of stuff so that I didn't have to uh, deal with sometimes the, the quiet voice in my life. Have you stopped in your life where you've shoved your vi- life so full that you don't have time to hear God's voice of, of quiet? I knew God's uh, spirit was convicting me of this, and, and one of the, that's probably one of the greatest realizations and one of the greatest learnings, I, I would say, is a changing of the taking of a Sabbath. Not just, uh, you might think, what, it, how, what you mean you don't take a Sabbath? Well, you know how life, all of a sudden people phone you and say, can you do this for me or can you do that? And, oh, well, this is the day I'd put off for a Sabbath, but... Yeah, I could say yes to that. And you start to realize that you, by saying yes to people, I cared far more about what people thought of me than what God thought. And it hit me deep down inside. is like, am I willing to say no to somebody, disappoint someone's agenda? Because everyone calls who wants it, everyone who calls you they for help wants something. It's not that it's a bad thing. We were meant to need to work together and things like that. But everyone has an agenda, right? And they want you to help them with their agenda, uh, those types of things. And so the question is, am I going to make other people's agendas my priority? Or is there going to be a space and time for me to take a Sabbath and make God's agenda my priority? So one of the real powerful spots for me, and I don't know if you're ever facing that, but it, it was something that I think is very important. It's not just for pastors to think deeply about Sabbath, it's about a question is, are you de- thinking deeply about what does it mean for me to rest? And it's not just sitting in front of a TV all day, but what does my rest look like where I'm following Christ in my life? The second part of this chapter, I'm skipping over a large swath, but the second thing is this, uh, it, we talk about Sabbath a lot, but then God brings this idea of this year of Jubilee. And this year of Jubilee was a, 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 cer- or it was a, a day of ceremony. It was a day of, uh, a, of worship, and a, it was an amazing t- time. And this year of Jubilee was, was based on the number seven. The number seven in Scripture is used by God to communicate fullness, per- perfection. So every week has seven days. Uh, you know, one, one day for work, six days for work, one day for Sabbath. And every seven years, God commands the people of Israel to rest the land. And at the end of seven of these seven cycles, the 50th year, does that make sense? Everyone get get that? So seven times seven cycles, there will be a 50th year. And there was a celebration year called the year of Jubilee. And this trumpet would sound. There would be this trumpet to announce freedom and the return of inheritance. Now, let me explain this. This This is a powerful picture for our lives. I want you to hear this because it's, I think it has incredible gospel implications for us. Because when you read the book of Joshua, you discover that there, God gives land to the people, the different tribes, and they're given these different pieces of land, and they're never meant to sell it. 
That land was given as an inheritance. You weren't, it's not like our, you know, I'm going to go and sell this piece of land right now to make some profit and things like that. Land was given as an inheritance from God. And it, we were stewards to take care of it. They were stewards of, to take care of each of their areas of land. But sometimes troubles happen in people's lives. They would have, something would hit them in terms of some kind of devastation, some famine, some, some uh, financial bad decisions to be made. And they faced a debt that they could not dig themselves out of. So someone who would get locked into poverty. Poverty problems like that exist today existed back then. So what was someone to do? What do you, what do, you do when there's no uh, bank to lend you money? And there's no credit uh, unions or money lenders. So the most drastic thing you could do is to sell yourself and your family into slavery. That was the most drastic way you could handle this. And use the money to pay your debts. But there was also this option of taking the land that you own and selling the crops. You didn't sell the land itself. You sold the seasons of the crops. And so you could take those seasons and say... Um, and the, how much land was worth was based on how many, we, how many years left there, were, were, there was between year 50, okay? So if, it was, uh, if the year of Jubilee was 50 years in advance and we were in year 25, I could sell you 25 seasons of crops. That's how it worked. If, there was one, if it was year 49... The land, I could only sell you one season of land. And so the land value differed in that way. And so that's what is being talked about in this passage that I just read to you here. Of how people could, could sell their seasons of land. But every 50 years, the, the, the trumpet sounded and then verse 10 was proclaimed. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. And this shall be a jubilee to you, when each of you shall return to his property, and you shall return to his clan. And so the land that they, they had become slaves to, or they had uh, given themselves over to work for this other person to pay off their debts, was returned, and the next generation was not doomed to a life of poverty. That God would set things anew, fresh, a fresh start. And isn't that what so many people in this world need? A fresh start. I think about uh, so many people who are locked into life and they feel like, man, if I could just start over, if I could not make those decisions that I made, if I, had, if I could just get, not do that dumb thing when I di- that I did when I was in, in my 20s, we'd be so much further ahead. And you know, Ask anyone who has experienced life and all of its messes that if they would like a fresh start. And this obscure passage in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 25, contains some of the greatest gospel implications for us today. Because we're meant to see this, that Jubilee is a message of second chances. In the year of Jubilee, every generation had a new opportunity no matter the mistakes of the parents, the kids were not doomed to have to live in those mistakes. God set it up so that they'd have a fresh slate to work off of. I think this is kind of grace, isn't it? 
a grace from a God who knows that, you know, so often we, there has been generational poverty year in, year out, and how we need fresh starts. But I love in verse 54 and 55 of Leviticus 25, there is this, this verse, and it says this, And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children shall be released in this year of jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel, that are, they are servants. They are my servants who I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Freedom. They were given new freedom in, in God. Can you imagine having sold yourself years earlier to pay for debts? How sweet that trumpet would sound. Can you put yourself in that place? That trumpet would be good news. <laughs> that you'd have freedom and you just re- received an ultimate second chance. And so as we move into the Gospels, we're, we see this Gospel principle, this Jubilee principle, show up over and over again. There's a story about, uh, about a, an unforgiving servant who is forgiven much, but refuses to forgive others their little debts. And in God's kingdom, we are meant to remember that God pours out second and third and fourth chances upon us. It's an amazing It's an amazing truth. The good news of Jesus Christ is that there is no sin that is so great that God cannot forgive you of. There's no sin that God can't restore your relationship with him. The Jubilee principle should drive us as we share our faith with others because it should remind us that no person is too far from God. We can't look at somebody and say, well, they would never be able to be redeemed. How cold our hearts are. Has our, has our heart grown cold that we, we have a coworker that we've kind of given up on or a family member that we've stopped praying for because we've stopped believing that God is a God of second chances. Is this true? Yes, this is true. And so... The Jubilee principle should drive our forgiveness of other people. We should be reminded that God forgave so greatly. He loved his son, us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die our sins. He, he paid everything that was needed. Is there anything that God has not... If you are greatly forgiven, we should be willing and able to forgive others. This does not mean that is not a supernatural help is needed. At times, you might say, you don't know what has happened to me. And it's true. I don't know your story here today. But I do know this, that when we live in light of the God's forgiveness of us, there is a, a revelation or there's something that God can do in our hearts to help us forgive and let go of things to other people. And I say this today, that the... I don't want to finish with this. There is a greater revelation that is found in this passage about the, about in the person of Jesus Christ because actually what we are supposed to find out is that Jesus is the Jubilee. And why do I say that? I'm not just kind of pulling it out. If we looked forward 1,400 years later, if we went into Luke chapter 4, you'd find a, a story of how Jesus comes and he reads 
uh, he stands before the people. And I just want to read this passage to you today. Luke chapter 4, verses 16. And Jesus says, he, come, he came up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he goes to his hometown. This is his hometown. Jesus decides, I'm going to show up there. And as it was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stands up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, where he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it to the attendant and sat down. This is the, like the mic drop of the moment, okay? You gotta understand, it's like Jesus takes the scroll, puts it down. But then he says this, and he looks at all these people and he says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I, there's a different Jesus that day. He stands up and in this moment, they understand that he's speaking to them in very direct ways. He's spoken in the Sabbath many days before. The, the passage tells it that it was his custom. But Jesus never read the scriptures the way he did that day. The spirit of the Lord had anointed him. He had been to the Jordan River. He had been baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit had descended upon him and given him power to begin his earthly ministry. Everything Jesus had that day, starting that day, had new power and anointing. And the congregation on that day saw a new, a great difference in, who, in his teaching. And then he read this passage, quoting back to Isaiah, a prophecy that was going to come to pass. And then he says, I am that, the fulfillment. There's a little verse in 19, it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Another translation says, the acceptable year of the Lord. This is language that has been, is completely tied to the year of Jubilee. I'm sure those in the audience thought Jesus was in error. He, he couldn't be talking about himself. This is, this is the year of Jubilee. It's still years away. We're, we're not, it's not there. We're not in the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee had never been provided for blind people to see. It never, for demon-possessed people to have, have freedom or the bruised people to be healed. To, to the Jewish people, it, the year of Jubilee just tied to property. Freedom of, like, the property coming back. But Jesus says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jubilee has arrived and I'm it. Jesus is announcing that in his kingdom, he is, it's more than property returned. It's more than financial freedom, even more than slaves getting physical freedom there, uh, becoming free. What Jesus is saying here is that I am the fulfillment of this. I am the good news for the poor because I can meet their needs, but I'm also good news for the poor uh, for those who are spiritually poor, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
I'm the good news to captives because I can, I can give them freedom. But I'm also good news to those who are spiritually captive. The, who are, those of you who are in chains spiritually because only I can set you free from that. I'm good news to those who can't see, who are blind, because I can actually physically heal people. But I'm also good news to those who are spiritually blind because I can take the scales, I can, I can open your heart up, and I can give you sight on who I am. I can see, you can see the glory of God in me. And I'm good news to the oppressed people because I hear cries. I hear when things are going on. But I'm also good news to those who are spiritually oppressed because I can do something about it. I can die. And I can conquer sin. I can conquer death. I can conquer Satan forever. These are incredible gospel implications in this moment. The good news for us in Jesus Christ. But you know what? One of the saddest realities in all of Israel's history is there's really no record of them ever celebrating the year of Jubilee. They never got there. They never, there's no record that the people of God were actually faithful enough to get to a place to celebrate the year of Jubilee. In fact, the reality is that they struggled even to obey God's command to let the, the land rest in a seventh year. God even had to remove them from the land to give the land rest. This is one of the most incredible experiences that God wanted to give to people. This celebration, this freedom, and they never got to experience because they were never, they never once were able to celebrate. They missed it. And this should give us some warning this morning in our lives that you and I can miss celebrating the message of Jubilee. We can miss this. We can walk by. We can not be faithful. One of the questions I want to ask you today is, like, are, you, are you experiencing the joy that God has for you in your life? What he's designed for you? Have you got to a place where stuff has no hold over your heart anymore. Where he, 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 you could say, whatever God gives me, it's enough. And the question is, I think out of here is, will we not miss out on the joy of knowing Jesus? My prayer is that every single one of us in this room would know that Jesus Christ loves you loves you enough that he would die on the cross. And we're going to just hear about that. We're going to celebrate that in baptism. But it is a, in this idea of rest and celebration. We've, we're going to hear the stories of people who God's changed their lives. But we not miss that of like in the testimonies and all the things that Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, has provided a way for every single person to experience the joy of this life joy and freedom and jubilee. Freedom from all the sin and he promises it those, to those who will accept him and, and ask him to, to be the savior of their lives. So that's what I'm going to pray over us now and then we're going we're gonna to just talk about baptism for a second and then we're going to hear some stories in this time but let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you today 
for this passage. And we ask today, Father, for your work of the Spirit to just remind us again that you desire to bring freedom to our hearts. That your Spirit is calling every one of us to, re- to uh, turn our lives to you. And I thank you that there are many in this room here who would say, I have done this at one point in time. But I know that there are times where I need to re-call out to you, to re-ask for uh, forgiveness, to confess sin. But Lord, we know that ultimately you have done the work on the cross that is necessary and to bring the joy that we need in our hearts. And we love you, God. We pray that today we would hear your stories of how you are working and celebrate them together as a family. And we love, the, we love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.